You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, such a sad story that broke uh, yesterday of a woman who uh, died in hospital after trying to rescue her child. It was from the sea in uh, East Cork. Mairead Tuig, our news reporter, uh, joins me on this uh, story. Good morning to you, Mairead. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. I was talking about this very sad story breaking out of East Cork uh, yesterday. It was around lunchtime. What do we now know happened yesterday? That's it, Patricia. Very sad story coming out of East Cork. It was around one o'clock yesterday when a woman aged in her 30s and her young son, they got into difficulty in the water at Ballycrinine Beach. And uh, Ballycrinine Beach, just to, to put it on the map, it's in Cloyne in East Cork and it's kind of there between Ballycotton and Gileen. Uh, so the, the woman was rescued from the sea. She was airlifted to Cork University Hospital, where she sadly passed away yesterday afternoon. And her son was rescued from the rocks with non-life-threatening injuries. And I've been speaking to local councillor, uh, Michael Hegarty, and he's just said, you know, the community is deeply saddened. He said, you know, a very, uh, very dark cloud has descended over East Cork and that the community will assist and do the utmost they can for the family and the loved ones of this. Uh, lady who sadly passed away yesterday. And, you know, we spoke about, you know, summer holidays are underway now, schools are closing for the summer, and, of course, with the fine weather, you know, the beach is where everyone wants to be when the sun is out. And uh, this has just been a, a really, really sad tragedy that, that happened yesterday in East Cork. It's, you know, many people were at this popular beach enjoying the surroundings, enjoying the water, and he paid tribute as well to the emergency services. He did stellar work all of the time, you know. Involved in this particular rescue, you had the lifeboats from Ballycotton and Crosshaven. Uh, Guileen Coast Guard and Ballycotton Coast Guard were called to the scene. And uh, Rescue 117 was involved as well. So, yeah, a woman in her 30s, and we understand that she noticed that her young son had gotten into difficulty in the water and that uh, she went in to, to rescue him. And, and sadly, this been an extremely tragic outcome. And she she did, Mairead, what every mother or father would do. You see your child in difficulty in the water and you just jump in to try to rescue them. Absolutely. It's the first instinct to just go in and to, to save your, your child. And as they say, really try to get coming. My thoughts and everyone's thoughts are, are with the family at this really sad time. She'd been living in, in Cloyne for a number of years. Uh, so, yeah, a very, very uh, dark cloud over the community. Yeah, um, and it's understood uh, she's, excuse me, she's not an Irish national, but as you say, has been living here for many years. But that does mean that there's family overseas have to be contacted. That's it, yeah. And, you know, there's been tributes paid to the lady online from, you know, the local community in Cloyne as well and clubs she was part of and from local representatives in the area. But as you say, contacting family, you know, letting them know about that this has happened um, and that will take some time to to ensure that the family are made aware of, of what's happened here and um, are kept, I suppose, up to date on, on this sad tragedy. And nobody in the world ever wants to, to get that phone call. Absolutely. But they, uh, her young son uh, is OK. Uh, and yes. yeah, but just obviously deeply shocked and traumatised. This is a deeply shocked. He was rescued uh, from the rocks with non-life-threatening injuries and 
he was treated and, and as you say in, in shock after this, uh, this terrible tragedy. Yeah because he's, he's lost his mum uh, God help him and this particular beach because I suppose when you think of East Cork most day trippers and tourists would be heading to, to Gary Vaux Strand that's kind of like the big uh, touristy strand but this Ballycrenine it's largely used by locals so there would have been a lot of local people witnessing what went on yesterday. That's it. It is a, re- a really popular spot for, for locals in Cloyne and the wider East Cork area. And uh, I can imagine just how terrible it was for them to look on at all of this unfolding and, you know, seeing the, the rescue helicopter come in and, and see the emergency services like the Coast Guard, you know, jumping into action. Yeah, and I know um, they worked seemingly on uh, both the mother and the son on the beach, so people would have been around. That, that, that is a hard, hard uh, thing uh, to witness. So yeah, our thoughts and uh, prayers very much with the, the young 10-year-old boy and the extended family of this poor woman, and, and may she rest in peace. And I'm told, uh, Mairead, there was another rescue yesterday going from East Cork to West Cork in Inchidani. There was, there was a rescue in Inchidani, and the advice here, I suppose, to, to start out with is, you know, to only swim at lifeguarded beaches this summer and, and swim between the flags and, and to listen to the lifeguards. So this was at about uh, 10 to 4 yesterday evening and there was a lifeguard on duty at the, the lifeguard station in Inchidani and saw four people entering the water off the eastern beach right at Inchidani. Now, a no safe swimming zone. It was marked by red-yellow flags on the eastern beach. So the lifeguard was quite concerned for the safety of the group. So uh, I suppose went with, with their, their gut feeling and they actually went down the lifeguard to the eastern beach and they used their whistle to alert this group of the dangers that they were going into. Now at this stage, two of them were uh, of the group that had gone in swimming were in waist deep in water and they began to come ashore. But the other two were further out in deeper water and they were drifting further out. And they saw the lifeguard, they proceeded to shout and wave to say that they were in distress. Now, the tide was still falling and there was a wind and a, a second lifeguard arrived with a surf rescue board and the Inchidani lifeboat driver, they were present and were making uh, ready to the lifeboat to launch it. So one lifeguard went out to the surf at a great speed uh, while the lifeboat was launched off the beach and one member of the, the lifeboat driving and the lifeguard was acting as crew. So on the rescue board, they reached the two swimmers, one male, one female. They were in distress. So they were told to hang on to the rescue board to keep themselves afloat. Uh, The lifeboat arrived alongside and in difficult conditions, they pulled the casualties into the boat. The driver uh, turned around and they landed safely back onto the eastern beach. Now the casualties were brought up to the station and their condition was was checked and they were shook, uh, but no medical attention was necessary. It was the big message here as I started out with is, you know, people need to, to work with the lifeguards, work with the lifeboat heed the advice that they're being given and only swim at lifeguarded beaches this summer and always swim between the red uh, flags and listen to the, the lifeguard's advice. And if there's no flag present on the beach, then it means there's no lifeguard service operating. So in Donny, you're just encouraging people, you know, I suppose they, this was a good outcome in terms of that they, you know, they were able to rescue these four people. But um, for the lifeguard to, to, to go with their gut feeling and follow them down and, you know, blow the whistle and... and They're fantastic. The I've, I've, I've I spent a lot of time in Inchidani during, all year round, but particularly during the summer months. And I, I can spend hours watching those lifeguards. The work that they do is just uh, in, incredible. And of course, you've always got to be aware when you don't know where you're swimming off the coast, uh, rip currents uh, and you can get very strong rip currents that can suddenly uh, appear so you've got to be so careful. Okay, listen, Marie, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. 
Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Uh, Fimber says, Patricia, very sad to hear about that young mother from East Cork who died in the sea. Thoughts and prayers uh, with her family. Terrible, terrible tragedy. May she rest in peace. You can always email the programme as well, Cork Today at c103.ie. Michael says, Patricia, it's the RTE debacle rolls on with D Forb now giving in her resignation this morning. A lot more heads should do the honourable thing and do likewise. Michael feels that RTE needs to be rebooted or reconstituted. He says it's rotten to the core. And then he says, did Dermot O'Hearn write this morning that when he was minister, there was people who had retired from RTE who were still being paid, yet he did nothing about it. The mind boggles. As far as Ryan Tuberty is concerned, he's toast. I cannot see him coming back from this. And that's from uh, Michael. And there's so there was so much over the weekend. This certainly is not a story that is uh, going away. And I have to say the RTE staff themselves are very much keeping this story alive. I don't think I've ever seen an issue to get so much coverage as RTE gave it over the weekend. And I suppose that's got a lot to do with the ire of the staff within uh, Montrose. But Michael, you're not the only person. I've heard from a number of people at the weekend as well who feel that Ryan Tuberty will not come back from this. He's obviously not on air. He's been taken off air uh, for this uh, week. He himself hopes he'll be back sooner rather than later. I think his plan is he'll be back uh, next uh, Monday. But there's a lot of people feeling that he can't come back for it. And and of course, the one big change for when we were on air on Friday. On Friday, I, I had been making the point, I found it very hard to believe that anyone could be getting... I, well, I find it hard to believe that people can be getting paid that kind of money, a half a million uh, euro a year to do the type of job that we do. I just, it just mind boggles that anyone is worth that kind of money. But anyway, the fact that he was getting paid 75,000 euro above what we, the members of the public and the Oireachtas were told he was getting, that surely he must have noticed that. And I did make the point, or else does he literally... Is he literally so well paid that he didn't notice that he was getting an extra 75,000 over what was published in the papers? Uh, And he came out late on Friday to apologise for that and and to say he did know that he was getting more money than what was publicly being declared by RTE. And he apologised for that. Is that enough reason for the man's career to uh, completely go? We know he voluntarily resigned from the late late. People are now questioning, did he resign because he knew that this story was about to go public? He says he didn't. RTE said he didn't and you know unless somebody changes their story we have to believe uh, that but does it mean the end of his radio career? Should it mean the end of his radio career? What struck me as at the weekend how in this country you can go from hero to zero very very quickly. It was only a number of weeks ago he was being celebrated on his final date late and the big guns were out and everybody was saying how wonderful the man was and how he would be missed and people were delighted that he was still going to hold his radio uh, show and I did hear because he did say at the time that he had plans for other TV work when he was retiring from RTE and seemingly one of the programmes that he is still I imagine hoping to make is something I think that Mike Murphy did many years ago he was hoping to do a travel programme in Australia and he was going to go to Australia and kind of do Ryan 
Wines Australia, Tuberties Australia, that kind of a programme where he'd travel all around. And he's a great friend of Australians, uh, Russell Crowe, the actor, who I believe was going to help him out on this programme. Now, there's a serious question mark over whether that programme, whether RT will go ahead with that uh, programme uh, or not. But there are many people feeling that this is the end of his career. I remember he's only 50 when he retired from the late late. He was just the following weekend. I think he was going to have his uh, 50th uh, birthday and he's planning on having a much longer career in the media. Uh, But many people are saying that he can't come back from this. And then others are saying, will he be the sacrificial lamb for RTE? Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, last Friday, the Echo newspaper ran with a front page story highlighting the plight of employers trying to find accommodation for their workers. Douglas based creche owner John Bowman of Bell Childcare joins me with his story. Good morning to you, John. Hi, good morning, Patricia. Thanks uh, for having me on. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. Tell me the lengths you have gone to trying to source accommodation for your staff. Oh, I mean, this has been going on now for well over 12 months. I suppose it started with us reaching out to parents who we would uh, know through the creche and preschool people who we would have had their children with us. And they very kindly stepped up when we were really stuck and took in uh, teachers and gave them accommodation for ranging from a couple of weeks to a couple of months. Um and this is for all all our staff, because we have some international, but we also have a lot of Irish girls, and they can't afford to live in and around the city when they move in, and they can't find accommodation, and they last eight, ten weeks, and they're gone. And and how many staff do you, do you currently employ? We have 40 in staff at the moment, and I suppose at any time, we'd have maybe four or five looking for accommodation or looking to get out of where they're at. Because um, if you can find something, it can be very expensive and the quality may not be great. Or you may be looking at multiple bus, buses to get you in. Um, and this is why we just took the decision to flyer the suburbs where we know there's good bus routes and or people can cycle or walk to us. And I suppose that's what, what drove us to, to do that, was to try and find accommodation. Because we, you know, there's been an issue with staffing in childcare for the last number of years. And we have really put together an attractive package for our teachers. We, we try and offer everybody a half day. And we, we look after training. There's, there's bonuses. There's all sorts of stuff. But no matter what we do, it doesn't matter if people have no place to live. Yeah. And, so, and that's, so, that's, you, that's, so you did up these flyers. It was, yes. Did I read 20,000 flyers? Yeah, 20,000 flyers across. Saying five. what? Basically, they were, they were two-sided. One side was appealing to landlords who may have a house to rent. And the other was appealing to homeowners who may have an empty room who were would be interested in taking on that rent-a-room scheme, which is a really great initiative. And I don't think is promoted enough, particularly mm. where we are with, with um, accommodation at the moment. There are loads of people sitting out there with um, two, three bedrooms, three in their house, and in some cases not don't know what to do with it or maybe a little bit anxious about taking a stranger into their home. But... Uh, our experience has been unfailingly positive. It, it's a real win-win for people. Well, it's company for people as well. And it's just like a security thing of knowing that there's somebody else sleeping in the house with you, you know, if, if you're a single person uh, on your own. And, and if you find a property to rent, you're willing to take responsibility for some of these properties, I believe. 
Absolutely. I, mean, the, I suppose the other reason we put out the flowers because we know from speaking to some of the parents who would be landlords that if you put out a, a house or an apartment, you can get four, five, six hundred responses. Mm. And it becomes actually quite intimidating or quite daunting to take on renting a place. And then you're letting down, you know, if you take on one group, you let down another five, six hundred people. So we thought, you know something, if we can be the one point of contact, and if somebody who has a house, they're tired of dealing with, with multiple tenants, just come to us. We'll guarantee to keep the place free, uh, keep the, keep the uh, property occupied. We'll meet the utilities. We'll meet the rent regardless whether there's somebody in the room. So it's a kind of a win-win. The, the, see, the other issue as well is the people who are ringing me with, with properties now are, are private individuals who may have one or might have a house dating back from whenever and are considering getting out of being a private landlord because of the tax implications and the, just the, the amount of work involved in it. And they're kind of going, look, we were thinking of selling, we were thinking of doing something, then we saw your ad, we'd love to be able to help out. Because I think we've struck a chord with people that they, they, they kind of, it, I suppose it became far more tangible when it was an individual business appealing. And what sort of reaction have you, have you got from landlords? Um, very good, actually. As I said, the people who are ringing me are not people who would have multiple, um, who, are, who are not in this, on a kind of a professional or semi-professional yeah. level. They're really individuals, as I said, who would have little properties or, and who would have always rented them out on a, on a kind of um, a word-of-mouth basis and who are just now exhausted by it all. But again, when they saw a local business struggling, and, and we provide a great service, a really important service, they thought, you know something, if we can help these people out, it'd be wonderful. So we, we've had quite a nice response. We've right. had lo- lovely people ringing us um, with properties that are suitable for us. But, it, you know, it, it, there's only a very... I can do this once. <laughs> you I know, know I know. I don't, you know, in 12 months' time, I don't know where I go because another flyer drop people go, oh, we don't want to see that again. Um, and I suppose my concern is, as, as, as looking down the road, I don't see where these houses are going to come from in the future. Um, you know, you're, and this, you're this is the problem. I mean, lack of affordable accommodation is going to hinder people expanding and, and you know, em- employers being able to employ. It's going to hinder business. But Sherman, it, it's already happening. I mean, you try and book a restaurant. I mean, everybody's running um, kind of skeleton crews. Um, nobody, nobody can find staff. Bar, I mean, the whole, the whole hotel catering at the hospitality sector is, is struggling really bad. But as, as you go through the different sectors, I mean, I've been on the back of the flyer and the back of the publicity, I've been talking to business owners of all shades and hues, and the, it's, it's across the board. I mean, there was a time when it was just if, if you were working in the, the lower, lower paid jobs, oh yeah, you can't, you're struggling to find accommodation. Now it doesn't matter what your income is. The, the properties are just not there. And, I mean, I'm listening to business people telling me about their staff getting on trains and commuting halfway up the country to, to, to work on building sites. It, it's, it's a huge issue, Patricia, and it is going to really, really hinder our ability to grow. I mean, I, I, Ireland is bucking the trend internationally at the moment. Our economy is growing, mm. but we need bodies. We need people to work. And this idea that we can build houses I mean, where, where are the people going to come from to build these houses? And if we can bring them into the country, where are they going to stay? It's, it's a vicious circle. It literally is a vicious circle. Cause, and when you hear of, oh, we're going, we have, we, you know, different s- sectors, including your own, mm. we have to go overseas in order to get staff. And then you think, yeah, that, that's all well and good. The staff there want to come here to work. But if they've no place to live, they can't take up those employment contracts. Well, that, that's the thing. And with this, oh, you know, there's a huge amount of agencies. Now, every day I open my, my emails, Oh, it's like, oh, we can recruit, you're looking for staff, looking for staff. And it's like, oh, 
But these companies are looking for, in some cases, a thousand, fifteen hundred euros to find a candidate. Mm. You then have to fly them into the country. So, I mean, you're, each each of these people has cost you about two thousand euros by the time they arrive here, and then there's nowhere for them to stay. Yeah, yeah you know, you, you barely got them trained up. And they're kind of going, there's no accommodation, I'm going home. And it really is an aspect, I think, at the housing crisis, John, that doesn't get a lot of publicity. That's why when I saw uh, the piece in the paper, I thought, well done to John for highlighting this. Because when we talk about and when you hear about the housing crisis, it's all to do with people being homeless. There's a lot of emphasis, yeah. obviously, on, on the refugees and the war refugees that are arriving. And, you know, and that's, and that's right. But this, this side of it, how it's affecting industry and business is not getting a lot of attention. No, it's not. And I mean, it, and that's a, a really, really big problem because if we don't, if we can't put the people required, as I said, we're at full employment in this country at the moment. Anybody who wants a job has a job. Um, and we, we're going to need to find accommodation for, for, for other workers. And we need to find accommodation, including the refugees and everybody coming into this country, they need to be accommodated because today's refugees are tomorrow's employees. Mm. You know, and, and it's, it's very short-sighted to be kind of given out, oh, we can't support, we can't accommodate X, Y, these different communities. We can absolutely, and we have a right, we have an obligation to accommodate them, but being completely selfish about it, as I said, these people will go on to become employees down the road, you know, and, and they will pay taxes in this country. And this is what we need. We need labour. We need, we need, we, need labor bodies, yeah, we need we need bodies for sure and uh, in order for parents to go to work they need creche and they need preschoolers <laughs> they, they need your, your your service it's all part of the of the same jigsaw how busy are you john we're we're very busy we're which is which is wonderful and i suppose testimony to the amount of people who are back in, in employment we're very very busy um and and it's similar to a lot of services we we would love to expand we'd love to increase capacity but you know, it, it's, it, it's 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 you can't we it can't reasonably take on looking to expand at the moment if you can't think if you're struggling to staff the rooms that you al- already have. And would um, you have parents looking for, oh, you, for yeah. children? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, well. we, we, we I suppose we have twenty five thirty impl- inquiries per week. Oh. Yeah, and and, and you know, now I mean, we offer we offer a part time service, so there's a, there's an opportunity to kind of match parents with availability. You know, we might be able to offer you four or five full days, but we can do it three. And parents are parents are incredibly flexible. They'll work around with us. Employers are becoming very flexible because you got to do what you got to do to keep staff. Um, and as I said, we we have really gone to great lengths to to create a nice place to work. Um, you know, as I said, we, we make sure people get a half day um, weekly. Well we pay as well as we can. We we include training, all the usual. But as I said doesn't matter what bells and whistles you can offer staff if they have no place, no place to, to live. live. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Back to well, the well, same well done for highlighting it, uh, John. And uh, thanks a million for taking time out to join us today. Pleasure. Thanks for having Good me. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That bye-bye. is uh, what a lovely man that is, John Bowman of Bell Childcare. Just highlighting, I think, what a lot of employers are probably listening and nodding their head and saying, yeah, have that problem uh, as well. You can get this if you can find the staff because we are at full employment. It's trying to find somewhere for them to live. And by the way, I can see there's a lot of commentary coming in and I will get back uh, to it, but I just want to move on to a completely different topic because the government have been asked to change the law that prevents new mothers from deferring their maternity leave while they're being treated and recovering from cancer. Emma McGuinness is a young mother from Galway and she joins me to share her experience of a cancer diagnosis while pregnant. Uh, Good morning to you Emma. 
Hiya, how are you? Uh, and I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for, for joining us and, and talking to us. I suppose, firstly, how is a baby Rory? He's He must he must be two by now, is he? Yeah, he turned two there in May, so he's great. Um, yeah, <laughs> are, you, are you just at the terrible two stage? I, well, we're definitely there, yes. <laughs> Everything is an argument. <laughs> this is the fun, fun time. Now, yeah. I need you to go back to early stages of pregnancy, all going well, and then what happens? Yeah, so everything was fine. Um, I have a three-year-old, well, I had a three-year-old daughter at the time as well. So I was, you know, second second pregnancy, busy. I, I, I wasn't actually feeling as bad as I was with my when I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, so everything was ticking along nicely. Um, you're all excited. Um, my mum had noticed um, a lump in my neck. Um, she hadn't seen me in the space between Christmas and the end of January, so it had noticeably grown kind of in that time. So she had pointed it out to me. We went for a scan and stuff on it, um, and it kind of things kind of started moving very quickly. We were told we couldn't really ignore it um, and that it would have to come out, um, and so that's what happened when I was 20 weeks pregnant um, I had surgery to have um, a lymph node removed and then from that they were able to diagnose me with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay so you're 20 weeks pregnant and you get this earth shattering news. I assume they discuss treatment but it has to be deferred until baby's born. Is, is that what happens? Yeah so there was a couple of different kind of ideas on the table. Um, you know you can you can actually have chemo while you're pregnant. Um, and, and it works quite successfully. Um, I it was kind of decided that I could wait maybe a bit, and so we just had a scan every couple of weeks just to check um, the spread and see how far we could get with Rory um, until we had to deliver. And so um, it was kind of a, a moving goalpost all along at first. We were like, if we could just get to 29 weeks, we'd be great. And then they were like, oh, we could probably wait till 32. And then um, we ended up being able to wait until 36 weeks. So um, he was delivered by section then um, at 36 weeks. That was a tough pregnancy, uh, Emma. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, you know, we were quite busy. Like I said, we had a three-year-old. Uh, there was a lot of waiting around and to be honest I didn't feel too bad I was tired and stuff so I actually went back to work for a few weeks there um, just kind of past the time the friends sitting around was, wasn't doing me much good um, so yeah it was an anxious wait for sure So Rory is born and then just treatment kick in immediately? Yeah so um, because I'd had a section I just needed uh, just a little bit of time to recover. So um, I started chemo three weeks exactly after he was born. And how long did that last for? That was, so I had chemo every six months for, uh, every. Oh, sorry, I had chemo for six months every two weeks. Um, so that was my whole maternity leave taken up. I had my last um, chemo session two days after my maternity leave ended. Oh, and how were you during the chemo treatment? Physically, how were you feeling? Uh, not good. Uh, yeah. it's, it's about as gruelling as 
as you hear, you know, it, um, it, yeah, it, it was a lot. Tough. I was really lucky to have my, my mum and dad actually moved in with us um, for the six months um, and kind of helped with Rory and Grace and picking up and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, so we were, we were very lucky to have them with us at the time, you know. So the, the the six months maternity leave that you get, which is which is a a huge time for bonding with your, with your newborn baby. Obviously, you're very unwell with the the physical symptoms of the chemo, and you're all focused on that. So the six months goes almost in in the blink of of an eye, and then suddenly you're faced with that's your mat leave gone. Yeah. Yeah, and to be honest, at the time, it didn't really even occur to me. I, I wasn't even thinking of it as maternity leave. It was only afterwards um, that kind of occurred to me. And I suppose that's why I wanted to get involved with the campaign because, you know, women going through that right now who are extremely vulnerable, not able, like, at the time, I was, you know, I was dealing with chemo brain and baby brain. I wasn't <laughs> able to bring a sentence together. So um, it, it's just important to me to kind of do this now to kind of help the women who have well yet done. to go through that. Well done, well done. And, you know, cancer treatment is is never easy. Uh, but just purely from a psychological point point of view, wouldn't it have helped for you to know that that six months mat leave would have been there at the end of all of the treatment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just, yeah, like you said, mentally that would have just been something to look forward to a real light at the end of the tunnel um you know at the end of the six months i certainly wasn't ready to go back to work um but it um just knowing that we were going to have that time to bond and stuff would have you know it would have made a huge difference yeah yeah and i know the you're part of the irish cancer society and their campaign leave our leave campaign which i think is a great name uh, for yeah. it and and the hope is 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 was that if you get a diagnosis while pregnant or shortly after pregnancy while you're on mat leave that you can just put it to one side and then go back to it? Yeah, so um, the legislation is actually there for paternity leave. So if if a man was to get, and and it's not um, just cancer, it's other kind of significant, you know, where you might spend a significant amount of time in hospital or be, you know, extremely ill, um, so you can do that if you're a man. You can defer your paternity leave. So um, if you just can't um, as a woman. So God, um, there's something wrong in that statement, Emma, isn't there? Yeah, for sure, <laughs> there is. Yeah. So I suppose that's the, that's what it comes down to. The legislation is already there for the paternity leave, so it shouldn't be that much of a lift to get it into the maternity leave. For the Maternity Act, sorry. And do we know, what sort of numbers are we talking about for women that do get diagnosed while so pregnant? It's a, yeah, it's a lot more than I would have thought. Like at the beginning, I thought I must be the only person I've never heard this before. But actually, it it, it affects enough women. So in Ireland, um, it's one in every thousand pregnancies. So that's 60 women a year. Wow. Yeah. Little more than one a week. So, as you say, yes. there are women exactly. as we speak today, this morning, maybe even listening who who are going through it uh, at the moment. And health wise, Emma, how are you doing? Are you cancer free? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm in remission now and back to work and running around after the two kids and 
life is very much normal. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. And listen, well done for uh, getting behind the Irish Cancer Society for the Leave Our Leave uh, campaign. And hopefully by you and I know other, other uh, women who were in a similar position have joined the campaign and are speaking out. Hopefully the powers that be will take heed and listen and uh, protect the maternity leave. Listen, real pleasure talking to you, Emma. Thank you, you for that. Thanks, so Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is uh, Emma McGuinness, a mum from Galway who went through that uh, cancer diagnosis while pregnant. There was a lovely WhatsApp in, oh there it is, saying congratulations to the Malotidy Towns, our Cork County representatives who have done us proud in the Irish Business Against Litter survey which has been released today. They're now lying in second place and this lovely text has come in from the Moy Tidy Towns group who want to wish best wishes to the Mallow volunteers for the remainder of the year and hopefully at the end of the year it could be a Cork County win which would be uh, to and it is certainly good news for uh, Mallow Tidy Towns because they do so much hard work and um, for so long uh, Mallow's done badly on any of those uh, surveys when it comes to literary service so it's great to see them doing, doing well in the eyeball uh, survey and actually I've just checked with John Paul we're going to be talking about the latest eyeball survey we won't get to it today but uh, he promised me that we will get to it uh, tomorrow but certainly it is a bit of good news for the town of Mallow lying in second place 0818 103 103 a slew of texts and calls in uh, to do with uh, the ongoing debate at uh, RTE and it really does look like the knives are out amongst furious staff within RTE and the staff now are demanding answers and in particular demanding answers from now the resigned, she was suspended but now the resigned Director General D Forbes and they want questions and answers from other members of the station's executive and there was because obviously Ryan Tobridge is only one of the top 10 high earners who earn these huge huge sums of money every year for working for the National Broadcaster a lot of question marks now around the other the other nine that are in that top 10 uh, list and did any of them have secret deals so Claire Byrne who wasn't on air on Friday but is on air uh, today she started her programme uh, this morning by talking about the fact that um, the fee that was published for her by RTE is the correct uh, figure. She said her most recent published fee was €350,000. That fee was agreed by RTE to present her radio programme Monday to Friday but also her once a week Claire Byrne live TV show. Now she's decided to discontinue that for personal and family uh, reasons but um, she's continued to say that the that to be fully transparent, the RTE fee now stands at €280,000 and that's for presenting her radio programme. So that's what she's getting for her two hours uh, a day as uh, John Paul has pointed out with the full production team uh, behind her. I don't think it's, he gets very annoyed at the amount of people that works on those shows while he's the only one behind the scenes uh, here. Claire Byrne also added that it was heartbreaking to hear people losing trust in RTE and that's where the big problem is at the moment is the lack of trust now in RTE and what does that mean for RTE going forward? Forward. George in Skibbereen said heads must roll. OK, we've heard Dee Forbes is gone, even though she was due to go in a week's time. But others must also go. Must also go. He agrees with Michael at an earlier comment that I read out. Ryan Tuberty can't come back from this. And hopefully Ryan Tuberty understands why. He says faith is now totally gone in RTE. 
Timothy in Bandon says, how many people will pay their TV licence after this story? It's a disgrace. Um, John Paul says, the bulk of the calls that he's getting to the programme are from people saying, I've paid my TV licence every year, not going to pay it uh, this year. Uh, Bill in Clonakilty says, Ryan Tuberty was getting an extra 750,000k on top of his declared declared earnings a year. He was getting that at a time when people in Ireland were counting the slices of bread to make sure that they have enough food to feed their families for the next day. If he had any respect for the Irish people, he should hold his hands up and resign immediately. How many did we hear of that were too how many times did we hear people were choos- were choosing between food and heating? all at the same time while watching this man on on TV and we were watching a guy who was getting an extra 75k on top of what was already a very, very generous salary. Keith is in Mayfield. He said reform is now what is needed. He said he actually found it watched hard to watch RT at the weekend with this story ringing around in his head. There is, and he said that, that is in no way disrespectful to the ordinary decent people working in Montrose but for a person like Keith in Mayfield who's paid his TV licence every year for the past 40 years he said I'm just bewildered as to where my money has gone every single year at a time when we're all watching our heating our energy and our grocery costs Danny's in Clonakilty he said what this story shows us is the lack of genuine people within RTE the station we all watch it is our national broadcaster. How can they compare to those watching when they're living a totally different lifestyle on those huge wages? And Kay in Mallow says, I feel Ryan has to go and follow what is now the lead set by D Forbes. I know it's a totally different story, but like Philip Schofield leaving ITV, Ryan will have to leave in order for any kind of faith to be restored in RTE. And just on the licence fee, I did hear at the weekend the Minister for State, Patrick O'Donovan, say undoubtedly there is going to be a serious hit to the television licence fee and commercial revenue, which will have an impact following the payments controversy at RTE. And you see, that kind of worries me because that's when it's the ordinary staff members, you know, the junior members, the researchers, the producers, the the people who are contracted to do various jobs at RTE. Ultimately, they are the ones that will be hit because if RTE lose funding in any way, they'll have to cut their cloth to their measure and you can be guaranteed it'll be the it'll be the lowest paid people who will lose their jobs, not the very high earners. I mean, it is putting the focus once again back on these ridiculous sums of money that are being earned by the top 10 in RTE. So will all of that have to be uh, looked at uh, again? And obviously, we now know that there's going to be two Oireachtas committee meetings held this week where RTE have been called before it, the issue of corporate governance governance will be discussed at the Media Committee on Wednesday and then the Public Accounts Committee, the PAC, on uh, Thursday. Now, there's no indication yet whether Dee Forbes will attend these meetings or not. I've gone through her statement. She doesn't say in her statement where she's going to attend or not. And remember, a rock this committee members, you're invited to attend. There's no compulsion uh, to attend. And now, people are hoping and praying that she will uh, turn up RTE themselves are saying, obviously, they'll send members of the board and members of the uh, executive, but 
We still don't know whether D Forbes will show up. Ministry still surrounds the manner and the reason why these hidden payments were made to the station's best paid broadcaster over the course of the last six years. And Emma O'Kelly, who we know from watching her on TV, she works for RTE. She's a journalist there and she does a lot of the trade union stuff. Anytime there's strikes, you'll, you'll see and hear from Emma O'Kelly. She also happens to be chair of the National Union of Journalists, the Dublin Broadcasting uh, Branch. She has come out very strongly saying we want answers to the questions. We want to get to the bottom of what happened here and above all else. She said we want things to change in RTE. We want deep rooted change. We want the culture gone. This culture of the ordinary worker subsidising and lining the pockets of a very small elite. She said there's anger and fury internally within the workers of Montrose. But uh, she said the workers are showing huge unity throughout this crisis. She's expressed concern over the reform of the funding model for RTE and says it amounts to yet another punishment for staff who've been subsidising the current culture that's been exposed. She criticised RTE use of things like zero-hour contracts. She's also called out the bogus self-employment contracts and that's done to cut corners internally while creating these cushy packages for those in the upper echelons. She said there's a real feeling of don't punish us twice, please, by delaying reform of the funding model because she says that is what is going to happen. Now, I know the Arts and Culture Minister, Catherine Martin, she's ordered now an external review. You see, we're going to have all of these reviews and it's how long all of these reviews take. She's ordered one into the governance and uh, the culture. She met at the weekend with the RTE chair, Soon Nirali. Um, now they, weren't, they were meant to meet today, but that got brought, for, brought forward until Saturday. And she said, oh, Catherine Martin said over the weekend, what has transpired was shocking and it's caused untold damage to RTE's reputation. And she said the purpose of of her review would be to to determine what fundamental or systemic issues need to be addressed, including, she says, the adequacy of internal controls. Now, RTE have commissioned an external review, particularly into the remuneration of the top 10 highest paid presenters, of which Claire Byrne is one of those. That will be concluded, the external one, within two weeks. But they do point out that an internal review that they did themselves uh, found uh, no anomaly. So they're expecting the external one to be the same. The Cabinet today obviously will be discussing it at their meeting. The Higher Education Minister, Simon Harris, has said it's really important that all the facts are put on the table. He said the Cabinet meeting will be an opportunity to discuss in further detail the external uh, chair. And then the chair of the Media Committee, they're they're coming, that's uh, Neve Smith, the RTE, and Will D Forbes is the big question. Uh, Will she be there? That's happening on Wednesday. She's already come out at the weekend and said it would be foolish of D Forbes not to attend Wednesday and Thursday's committee meetings and she's pointed out she's one of the key people in this crisis for RTE. She said her appearance would show leadership. She said I don't think this Ryan Tuberty arrangement could have happened without her say and her ratification and she said it wouldn't be fair on her colleagues not to take part. It wouldn't be fair on the public who she said we now need to get on board in order to get the public to continue to pay their TV licence. She said if she doesn't come in it'll be unhelpful and disrespectful to staff. She said without her it can't be open and accountable 
simple process. She knows what we want to know. And and that's Niz, uh, Neve Smith of the Media Commission. Brian Stanley is chair of the PAC. He's also come out and said it would reflect really badly on D Forbes and damage the credibility of RTE if she doesn't attend the uh, meetings. He says, we are a forgiving nation. It'd be much better to come in, admit any wrongdoing, put up your hand. She was in charge. And by RTE's own admission, the uh, Rockthus and the people of Ireland have been misled for uh, years. So there is a lot, lot more to play out on this one. But it's, it's just interesting that even the government ministers themselves and TDs themselves are accepting that there is going to be a lot of people who will be deciding not to pay their TV licence. Now remember you can go into jail. I heard over the weekend of a single mum a knock on the door and it was the Gardaí. There was a bench warrant because she had failed to pay her TV licence and she ended up being taken to the local Garda station. Then she ended up being taken to Mount Joy. Now she was released after a few hours. It turned out it was, I think it was a mistake actually I don't think she should have been uh, arrested but it just goes to show people can have and and have been uh, arrested for not paying their TV licence so there is now if everyone decides not to pay their TV licence I suppose the argument would be they can't arrest everyone but definitely trust in RTE Uh, they have a lot of uh, work uh, to do and then the government are going to have a lot of work to do to get the ordinary decent people of Ireland to do their law abiding be law abiding citizens and pay the TV licence but as John Paul says every single call that he's been getting about this issue are from people saying no way I'm not going to pay my television licence anymore 0818 103 103 John Paul takes your calls C103 Jobs Ashgrove Renewables, they are looking to recruit a sales support administrator. It's for their expanding home energy division. CVs please to hr at ashgrove.eu. Machine drivers, crane operators, lorry drivers, Arctic jumper drivers all wanted to work in Cork. 021 A minibus driver wanted to cover the July summer education programme in the Charleville area. John is your contact on 087-2154385. And Right at Home Cork, they're currently recruiting carers to provide home care to elderly clients in Cork City suburbs. CVs please to Cork South at rightathome.ie or you can call them on an 021 number 2347300. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. With um, the majority of schools now out for summer and the state exams in the final days, the age-old question gets asked every year by working parents at what age is it okay to leave your child, our children, at home alone? Laura Erskine is a parenting expert and she joins me this morning with her views. Good morning to you, Laura. Good morning. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. If, is it fair to say that there's no right answer to this question? At what age is it okay to leave your child home alone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a number of factors. First of all, there's no law to guide us. So... 
we don't know for sure <laughs> um, what the legal limit is for, for when you can leave a child at home. Um, however, there is law that you can't put your child in danger so or at risk. Um, so I suppose that's what we need to bear in mind. Uh, and when it comes to your child, it's going to be so individual to every child's personal situation in terms of whether they are old enough, whether they feel comfortable, how mature they are, how responsible they are, whether you're asking them to stay at home on their own or whether you're asking them to stay in the company of maybe with an animal or with a younger sibling. And um, and then how long you plan on leaving them alone for. Is it an entire working day? Is it for an hour or two? Um, and what you plan on, on doing to, to keep them occupied? There's just so many aspects in terms of safety and then just how generally how comfortable the child is going to feel. Um, but as a rule of thumb, you wouldn't leave a child under the age of 10 at home alone for any extended period yeah, of time. Yeah, absolutely. And it very much depends on the child, doesn't it? I mean, you can have two 12-year-olds, one very mature for his or her age and the other not as mature. Absolutely. I mean, I look at my own 12 year old and she's actually doing a little bit of babysitting for the next door neighbours, four and five year old for an hour or two during the afternoon. And she's delighted with herself that she's earning a couple of bob. Um, But, you know, at the same time, I would never have put my son at that age in charge of another child because he just simply wasn't mature enough okay. uh, and it really does depend on the individual I think girls tend to have that uh, that caring nature but then you know it comes down to their level of confidence as well you know if they're an only child maybe they're they're you know they might feel less confident about being at home a, a, alone maybe if they've already been they've grown up with looking after younger siblings they have a level of maturity and responsibility that other children don't That's a good um, point. Uh, and then depending on where you're living of course are you in a rural location you know where you know if something goes wrong or they get upset that they don't have anywhere to go to to get help um, or are you living within a neighborhood estate that the close knit community that if something was to go wrong they could pop next door and somebody would be at home to help them. You know, these are all things that we need to bear in mind. Um, And some children actually don't like being left alone, regardless of whether the parent wants to leave them at home alone for for maybe they're working um, and they can't find a camp. And it's very difficult at this age, that sort of tween, preteen age, right into the early teens to find a camp that is suitable or that is going to be, you know, long enough for the working day. Most of these camps run from 10 until 2 or 10 until 3. I mean, there's still a few hours that, that you need to kill there. Um, are they OK to walk home alone? Uh, will they be walking home in a group? Can they let themselves in? Are you leaving lunch out or are you expecting them to make something themselves? And then what are the potential dangers there? You know, will they plan on using a kettle? Are they OK to use the oven to put a pizza on? Or will you be leaving a cold sandwich in the fridge for them? You know, um, it's a lot to think about. Yeah, there really yeah, is. There, 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 <laughs> And as you say, we, it all goes back to, uh, as parents, you know your individual child. I mean, I think that one that you touched on there about why the child might be at the age you think, oh, he's mature enough to stay at home, but they might be, you could have an anxious child who just will not like the idea of being home alone. Absolutely. And, you know, I th- 
you have to bear that in mind. You don't want to upset them or create further anxiety. Uh, and that can live with them for for a time, even if they have a phone that they can call you on. It doesn't matter. They can That can really build up for a child. And, and the thing is, you might need to tease it out because a child might feel, oh, mommy has to go to work. Um, so I have to stay at home and I can't let on that I'm upset or I'm anxious. So it is something that you really need to tease out carefully with your child as to how comfortable they feel and for what period of time that they feel happy to be at home um, alone. And then to make sure that they're occupied. I mean, the last thing we want is for to leave a child who's 12 or 13 at home on their own for an entire working day and all they're doing is sitting on an iPad or a screen or on the TV. That's not healthy for them. And then equally, if you're letting them at home alone and they're planning on calling into the neighbours and to play out in the road, then are you comfortable that they won't wander further than what the agreed limits are um, within where they're allowed to go, whether they're going to be safe playing on their own in the playground? Will they be crossing roads? You know, have they got that common sense? Will they be going out on a bicycle on their own? What happens if they fall? Who do they go to? Do they have a backup plan? Uh, and, And then you can get actually pretty good apps on your phone where you can actually track their location, which some parents find very useful, where they might get an alert if a child has walked out of an agreed uh, zone that they're allowed to play on their own in within an estate. Um, and that can be useful for keeping an eye on them. For keeping, um, even... for keeping someone safe. Exactly. And exactly. if, you're, st- if you're starting it for the first time, maybe you've made the decision that this is going to be the summer where your child has reached the age where they can be home alone. I'm assuming start with like short, brief periods, like I'm just going to go to the shops. I'll be back in 20 minutes. Absolutely. Um, and, and that is is definitely the way to do it. Build it up slowly, head off for half an hour and call them, make sure they're OK, text them um, and then be back at the agreed time uh, and then extend that period gradually over the course of a week or two weeks until they've built up to feeling comfortable. And then also you're going to have to plan activities for them to be occupied. Are you going to ask them to earn a little bit of money by doing some household chores? Are they old enough and responsible enough? to handle a hoover maybe but maybe not doing that's uh, going to require them to get on a stepladder and then the dangers that that could could entail um, and then you know is it during the daytime or the evening time I wouldn't leave any child under the age of 15 at home alone in the evening for any period of time um, because there's just too many dangers people are more op- opportunistic than ever before in terms of home burglaries or even a child simply walking upstairs uh, to go upstairs and watch television and then leaving a back door open or a window open in the summer heat and not thinking about the potential danger yeah, that that's inviting that, yeah. into the home. And then um, on, on, the, on the older group then, the, the, the teenagers who are gone beyond having a, a child uh, minder and you are a working parent and you are going to be gone out during the day, you need to set rules, don't you, on what they can and can't do when home alone? Absolutely. And the first rule I would would set is that they're not allowed to engage in any TikTok hacks or challenges that they see online on YouTube, TikTok or any other social media platform. Um, And this is a real danger, which you might not have considered. But teenagers are very easily influenced, much like the the uh, the preteens. And this is where danger can can take place, where you see a child uh, or a trending challenge that everyone's being asked to do something um, in order to create some sort of experiment or to clean something or to to make a a dish, uh, a food dish, whatever it is. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That it's it's using things that they wouldn't normally use. They might be um, dangerous items. They might be bleach or, or items within the uh, the household cleaning uh, drawer that they wouldn't normally be using that are dangerous. Um, and very often these sort of TikTok hacks and challenges sometimes they're faked. So they they make it look like I started here. It's a very well edited video. I used all of these products and this is where I ended up. Whereas in fact, it's been, you know, faked and yeah. they're just creating a viral video. But your child doesn't have the wherewithal to be able to assess that uh, and tries it for real. And that's where danger can occur, especially if they're consuming something um, as part of a challenge. OK, and, so a lot, uh, a lot of you know, talk around uh, around uh, TikTok. OK, and a caller um, wants to know, at what age would Laura, you've actually answered this, I think, allow a child to babysit? Uh, her neighbour has asked her 13 year old daughter to look after the neighbour's two children, two for during the summer months in the afternoon but the caller is uncomfortable about it your 12 year old is doing just that <laughs> she is indeed <laughs> yeah. and it's her first time she's delighted with the job now she's doing it two doors down and she's doing it when i'm at home okay. so it means that you know if there is a problem i am at home and and i wouldn't have her do it in any other circumstance other than when i am at home because you know she's she is 12 she's looked after her younger sibling who is now almost 5 so she has some experience with with the little ones but she's um she's still very you know she's still very immature in the context of being able to assess risk um if there, a child got very upset because they were missing their parent you know she might be able to calm them down initially but if a child got uncontrollably upset she wouldn't have the ability to do that yeah. so that's why so that's I'm where you, where so where, where can mom can be called to yeah two doors down exactly. yeah so if it's a case that to this caller if you're going to be at home while your 13 year old is in the house next door you know make that kind of arrangement that you're there to to back her up and i suppose the other question is is, is to ask your 13 year daughter does she want to do it I mean your daughter seemed like she loved the idea of earning a few bob 
Oh, absolutely. And the responsibility of it. She's um, she's a child who's very industrious and she's gone. Beyond, she's gone beyond the washing the cars on the road. And this is her next step. She did a bit of dog walking last summer and now she's moving on to children. She's a now bit she, of an entrepreneur, isn't she? She is indeed. <laughs> Long um, may that continue. So, yes, All right. exactly. All right. Listen, Nora, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you uh, for that. Enjoy the rest of your summer. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Uh, good good morning. morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Laura Erskine, uh, parenting uh, expert on that. What is an issue that has been there, I think uh, it always comes up at this time of the year and you'll, you, you'll sometimes get the conversation will start because the children themselves won't want to have a babysitter in or they don't want to go to the babysitter's house or they don't want to have to go around to granny's house. Why can't they be left um, home alone? But there, as you know, listening to Laura, she's right. There's no set age. You can't say all 11 year olds or all 12 year olds are fine to stay at home. It very much depends on your own child. C103. Now, Birdwatch Ireland have appealed for the public's help in tracking the number of barn owls here in Cork. It's part of a survey of the population of the endangered bird of prey. And I'm delighted to say Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Niall. Good morning. And you're, you're welcome. What sort of a decline have we seen in the barn owl? Well, it's hard to, to put exact figures on it because it's only in recent years that really detailed survey work has been done of barn owl populations. However, we do know that they have really uh, thinned out in, 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 to a great degree in many, many parts of the country. Munster actually remains one of their main strongholds, but the numbers have, have, have declined. They are showing signs of an increase, though, in recent years, particularly around Munster and also in, in Connemara, which is, which, is, which is good news. But it certainly would have gone down from several thousand pairs historically in Ireland to, to just a, a few hundred pairs. Uh, it has been quite stark. And the main reason? There's a few different factors at play. Um, one, one of them actually is the effect of rat poisons, of rodenticides on them, because barn owls feed on mainly on, on rat, rats and mice and, and small mammals like that. So they're very susceptible to what's called secondary poisoning, uh, where they eat an animal that's itself eaten poison and that builds up in their systems and they feed it to their chicks. It makes them weaker and sicker over time and eventually can, can kill them. Or we do know that sometimes it actually brings them more likely, more likely to make them come into conflict with things like traffic on busy roads because some of these sicker owls and what happens is when the poison has an effect on them, they take the easy option of, of hunting alongside roadside verges where they're more likely to be hit by hit by traffic. Uh, so that's been one factor. Another factor has been um, the, the lack of available nest sites for them. The barn owl, um, it's, it's an interesting bird in that it, it, it almost always nests inside a man-made structure. So they're aptly named. They were traditionally nest inside barns and in other agricultural buildings, in sheds, also in places like uh, old castles, old churches, places like that. Um, but um, a lot of these, these old older buildings are in poor repair. They're no longer suitable for these barn owls. A lot of modern farm buildings have uh, fewer ways for these owls to get in or, or to find find a way to nest or ledges for them to nest. Now, there's, there's, there's different ways we can combat these things. One way to solve the latter problem is to provide nest boxes for them in appropriate areas. And that works. That's, that's been really successful, particularly around uh, around Cork. It's been, been, been really worthwhile. And when it comes to the issue with rat poisons, we're, we're a member of a group called the Campaign for Responsible Rodenticide Use, working with, uh, with farmers and landowners and with rat poison companies as well to make sure that we try to minimise the impact of uh, the, these poisons on birds of prey such as, as barn owls and, and also kestrels and other birds.
birds of prey, the, the, the small rodents. Um, even things we've been working with Transport Infrastructure Ireland to put um, barriers in terms of planting of trees near to motorway verges, which means that the barn owls when they're flying across the road, they have to climb that bit higher to get out of obstacles, which means they're over the height of the traffic when they cross the road. Yeah. Simple things like that can have a big effect. Yes, yeah. and that is a, sim- a, a simple thing. And the, and the barn owls, they're very easy to identify, aren't they, Niall? They are. So a lot of people would call them the late, late show owl because yeah. it's the bird that's in the, in the credits of that program. It's this ghostly white looking bird with almost a human like face. They have this very um, this very endearing kind of expression, these big eyes, this big white disc on their face, uh, a lovely uh, sort of golden brown colored back. Uh, and um, they, 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 they you know, are a hard enough bird to see because they're nocturnal. So they're really only out at night uh, when it's hard to see them. And when they fly, they're completely silent. They, they, their wings make no noise at all. They have these special feathers, so they're completely silent. Um, you will sometimes hear them, they, they make a, a sort of a screaming sound. People think that owls hoot. Uh, some species <laughs> of owl do, do indeed, like the long-eared owl hoots here in Ireland. But um, the barn owl doesn't. It makes this really blood-curdling scream, quite quite an unpleasant noise. And okay. it's thought that that's actually the uh, the, the origin of the, 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 the banshee, this ghostly white figure in the sky making this screaming sound. That's it's almost certainly ah, the barn owl. It, was, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> it was, wasn't the banshee at all. It was, it was, the, it yes. was the barn owl. <laughs> and where here in Cork would we be most likely to spot them? Well, you most like to find them in, in agricultural areas, particularly in areas where they particularly like areas where there's tillage, because that, that often attracts rodents, and it's also good areas for them to hunt. But also areas where you would find um, buildings or nest boxes where they would nest. We know North Cork particularly is quite quite good for them, um, sort of from my kind of area, that that kind of kind of area. But they're quite widespread within the county, uh, no doubt under-recorded, um, because we do know that with the, with the um, increase in the use of nest boxes in the county, quite a few young barn owls have been produced there, and they've gone to join, you know, going into population to find their own territories. We're not necessarily able to track all of these down, which is why we're, we're appealing to, to the public to, to, to keep a look, to keep a look out. And uh, you mentioned yeah. the, you know, the use of rat poison. And I mean, from a, from a farming point of view and for farmers to have barn owls, you know, nesting in their barns, I'm, I'm assuming they're the farmer's friend in that they'll kill, they'll keep the rodent population down. Absolutely correct. Yes, a pair of barn owls is the best rodenticide that you can get. They're very effective. There's no knock-on effect on, on any other creatures, uh, and they're amazingly good at, at clearing out rats and mice from 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 an area. We actually work with 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 a lot of farmers in relation to this, and several of them told us now that they no longer need to use poisons. Brilliant. They managed to get the barn owls back in, and that had knock-on benefits for birds like kestrels and butters and so on. What you'll find in Ireland, compared to um, most other countries in Europe, including just across the water in Britain, we ha- we see fewer birds of prey here. They've been persecuted, um, you know, unjustly over the years. We, we, you know, it's taken a long time for birds like the buzzard to 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 recolonise Cork. They're, they're spreading down there again. They also feed on on, on rats and mice. Uh, and the fact is, because of those predators were missing from the food chain, people thought that they might have been a, a detriment to farming. In fact, nothing but a massive benefit. This led to people having to use more poisons, which then in turn reduced the populations yet further further of these birds of prey and completely upset the whole balance. And as the balance restores, um, we would certainly be very hopeful that a lot less poison will be necessary and we'll see more of these birds in our landscape. So it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, and I know Peter Dowdle, who is our um, resident gardener, we do a gardening slot on uh, on a Wednesday. He is uh, always saying to people not to put down the, to be very careful, the slug pellets that you're yes. using uh, because of the knock-on effect that that can have on birds. Oh, 
that's absolutely correct I'm very, I'm very pleased to hear him giving that advice he, he's, he's spot on um, so, so absolutely um, there are you know when you put out slug pellets they poison slugs and snails and that has a knock on effect on the birds that feed on those particularly a bird called the song thrush which is a bird that specialises in feeding on snails in particular uh, and um, most other birds won't eat snails because they can't get in through that hard shell but the song thrushes um, know to pick them up and smash them on the ground or on a stone they eat the snail inside so it means that if slug pellets are used a lot um, what happens is that the, the poison gets into the thrush's body or even worse it might feed into its chicks and over time they become weaker and sicker until eventually they, they may die or often what actually happens is they're less fit and well able to, to feed their final food for their chicks so in a normal year maybe four or five of the chicks would survive but if the parents are feeling very poorly maybe they don't have enough energy to keep one or two of those chicks alive and over time the population just goes down and down uh, so um, yeah absolutely um, I think we can do to try and minimise the amount yeah. of, of poisonous chemicals we're putting in the atmosphere would be better and I know we spoke a couple of months ago and you, you were streaming a camera from an S-box in uh, North Cork. Um, how, are the, how are the chicks getting on? Are you getting many views? We're getting a huge number of views. It's ah. actually been extremely possible, popular. It's, it's still it's still streaming at the moment. I was just uh, just checking in on it just before I started speaking to you now, and I'm pleased to say they're performing well in front of the camera there. And um, we did have, unfortunately, w- w- the youngest of the chicks did die a few weeks ago. We 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 um we did uh, when we were when my colleague John Lusby was was ringing the chicks, you know, put as in putting metal rings on their legs. We would monitor the nest and take the chicks out just once to weigh them and measure them and put the rings on the legs. He realised that the the youngest of the brood wasn't uh, wasn't developing as as quickly as he would have liked, so he. He, took, he made the decision with, 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 with the authority of the National Parks and Wildlife Service for that uh, that youngster and also the second youngest sibling to be taken into care and hand reared. Now, unfortunately, the young one, the youngest one, didn't survive. The other one is doing fine, and the three that remain in the nest are absolutely thriving. So, um, you would expect with, with owls that not all of the, the the chicks would survive. It's actually very normal for the youngest one to perish, unfortunately. So, so aside from that 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 minor setback, I'm pleased to say they're doing really really well. We've had views from not just across Ireland but all over the world. Quite a few people across. Asia in particular seem to have really <laughs> taken to this. So we have lots of comments there now in Chinese and Japanese and Korean, which is really interesting to see. Um, and people have been donating to our Barn Owl Appeal Brilliant. all over the world as well, which is really nice. So um, so not something we're used to getting this kind of international in- attention. So it's and it's, it's it's addictive viewing, I have to say. <laughs> yes, Anytime oh, I've logged on, it really addictive. is addictive <laughs> viewing. OK, tell me about the survey and how people can help you out with the survey, now. Well, what we're doing is we're, we're looking to try and identify locations where, where barn owls are, are nesting or may be nesting. So this is the, the, the time of year to keep an eye out uh, for, for adults maybe returning with food to the, chick, the chicks or the chicks are calling at this time of year. So if you happen to know about barn owls um, or know that they're in your area, you can find all the details at our website, probably the best way. It's birdwatcherland.ie and you see on the, on the front page is a big picture of a barn owl there. So you just, it just gives you all the information you need on, on the website there. And we, we really, really would appreciate it. And you also find a link there so you can watch the nest in North Cork as well and see, see the birds. Yeah, well, well worth watching well worth watching listen and Niall pleasure as always thank you for that and thanks, uh, for, thank, thanks uh, for joining us that is uh, Niall Hatch of uh, Birdwatch Ireland oh there was a lovely text in and I was going to give this a mention uh, today Somebody says, Patricia, want to send a massive, massive congratulations to all of the Irish competitors who competed in the 2023 Special Olympic World Games that were held in Berlin over the past two weeks. 75 medals were won, 24 gold, 22 silver and 29 bronze. What an achievement. I want to give a special shout out to Mary Connolly, 
Clarenbridge in Galway, who's coming home with gold and three bronze. It was absolutely terrific. We were talking about the World Special Olympic Games in, in last week on the programme. We had a mum on whose son from Formoy was on the soccer team. And I'm open to correction, but I think they won. Uh, they won their match. They were through to the final because I was trying to follow it online. And I didn't have great broadband connection, uh, but I did spot on the news piece. I saw a team of what looked like the soccer team with gold, with gold medals. But it was just, an, I mean, 24 gold, 22 silver and 29 uh, bronze across like a diverse range of uh, sports. It was uh, fantastic. And I know they are expected into Dublin Airport round about now. I think it is today. It was around about midday uh, today. And I'm assuming if we tune in to the to RTE and maybe even Virgin Media uh, tonight, no doubt there'll be cameras there waiting to welcome all back. And I'm sure many of the family members will be there. A lot of the family uh, travel with them, but there'll be a huge, huge uh, welcome home. It's one of those real success uh, stories. And of course, as we mentioned last week, it's 20 years ago since Ireland, since we were the hosts of the Special Olympics World uh, Games and we were the first to do it outside of America and we really set in and at the time it was a major major undertaking to host the World uh, Games in Ireland Uh, but and it was almost done as a trial at the Americans who normally it's always based in the States it was almost could we do it outside of America and we here in Ireland absolutely knocked it out of the park and the reason that it was so successful you remember at the time it was down to volunteer families remember all the host families individual towns and uh, got a particular country and they would host the people from that country in the weeks leading up to it because obviously with with people travelling from all over the world and you're talking about a group of people with uh, special needs they needed time to acclimatise and you know there would be jet lag and all of that so they had to arrive well in advance of the game if they were coming from very far-flung uh, countries. And we, as I say, we, we, it was such a success, the World Games in 2003. And since then, it has been held in many other European countries. And actually the staging of it in Berlin, it was the first time that the World Special Olympics World Summer Games were held in Berlin and I know the people of uh, Berlin were delighted absolutely thrilled to be hosting it and there was a wonderful closing ceremony held at the Brandenburg uh, Gate uh, yesterday and it brought to the to an end a spectacularly successful week for Team Ireland. So congratulations to each and every one of them. I don't have the breakdown yet of how many of those 24 gold, 22 silver and 29 bronze came to us here in Cork. But I know that the Cork representatives were doing us really, really proud uh, at it. Uh, The families will all be thrilled to have their loved ones home. So well done to everybody involved. 0818 103 103. We need to take a break. We have News at 12 midday on the way. It is Monday. So that means Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, will answer any of your nutritional questions. We'll do that in the next hour. And we also have another pair of those tickets to give away to the National Menopause Summit, which is happening in Cork in the Cork City Hall 
in the end of October, Friday the 20th of October and we have a pair of balcony tickets to get you along to that summit. We'll give you details of how you can enter that. Talking with Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland and in particular the barn owls and asking people to keep an eye out for, for barn owls and if you spot any and it looks like we here in Cork are, are doing well because a lot of people have put up nesting boxes so if you've spotted any barn, barn owls or come across them in the coming weeks please get on to uh, birdwatchireland.ie uh, and you'll see it on their very first page they're doing this barn owl survey they're trying to get an, ac- a, an accurate number as possible uh, trying to see how they're doing in the wild and it led Nile to talk about other birds of prey that sadly have been in decline but you know slowly they're doing the bit from a conservation point of view and I know Fota that we spoke with last week when they're celebrating uh, their 40th anniversary of opening they're doing a lot of work for bird conservation as well and you know, we know habitats are declining, unfortunately, and farming practices. And uh, it's just it's unfortunate that our wildlife are being affected by it. Uh, Tony has sent me in a picture of a dead buzzard and says, hi, uh, Patricia, this is one of five buzzards missing, uh, presumed poisoned. West Cork Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan and I have been working on these particular buzzards and we've seen the toxicology reports from the dead buzzard that we found and it was rat poisoning. Yeah, and that's exactly the point that was being made by Nile. Uh, we've got to stop using that type of pesticide to get rid of uh, rats and if we could get more birds of prey and more barn owls like we've been talking about this morning it would be fantastic for the farming community and for the farmers because they'll keep they'll naturally keep the rat population down. Thank you uh, for that WhatsApp uh, Tony to 0862103103 and when I was looking for names of the Cork participants as part of the Special Olympics Team Ireland and who won medals and they're all winners just to be representing their country but Kevin O'Connor from Canturk uh, Kevin works in Super Value in Canturk he won gold in the golf I actually saw him on the news actually uh, during the week being uh, interviewed congratulations uh, to uh, Kevin he flies back today with his gold medal around his neck 0818103103 we had such a reaction last week to people trying to win tickets to the National Menopause Summit, which is coming to Cork. They're advocating for change. It's happening on Friday, the 20th of October. It's described as a landmark event and it's going to take place in Cork City Hall. It's a packed agenda of knowledge, advice, support and content that will be delivered by expertly curated panel of speakers. There'll be moderated panel discussions and much, much more. You can get details about the summit and tickets by going to nationalmenopausesummit.com. But we have another pair of tickets to give away today. It's a pair of balcony tickets for Cork City Hall to the National Menopause uh, Summit. And many people, when they're going through menopause or even through perimenopause, will talk about sleep problems and how difficult it can be to sleep and get a good night's sleep when you're going through the menopause. So the word we want you to WhatsApp only because our text message service is still down. So if you would like to enter our competition today, I need you to text the word sleep 
just the word sleep, but you must put your name and address on it by WhatsApp only, please, to 086 103 103. We'll leave the text message open for about 10 minutes and then we will select a, we'll randomly select a winner who will win a pair of tickets to the National Menopause Summit on Friday, the 20th of October. So text the word sleep along with your name and address. And as I mentioned last week, I really want people who will benefit from going along to this summit, maybe somebody who is at the moment going through uh, menopause and there's so much myths and confusion around menopause and can really learn from attending a day like this. It's there the ladies that I really are hoping are going to win these prizes. Or perhaps you are living with somebody who's going through uh, menopause. It, does, it doesn't just, while the physical symptoms can affect uh, women, it can affect everybody in the household. So get WhatsApping on that. As I say, I can't offer you a text message today because the service seems to be down all over uh, the country. So WhatsApp 086 103 103, the word sleep, along with your your name and address and hold off please on any questions that you might have for Annalise um, because um, I don't want Annalise's questions to get lost in the midst of people entering our competition so I'll tell you when you can text or WhatsApp in with questions for Annalise. Still a lot of commentary coming in on the whole RTE Ryanair or Ryanair? RTE uh, Ryan Tuberty issue and the overpayment or, well Ryan Tuberty will say he wasn't overpaid that was part of the package that he put together. He will instead say that it just wasn't declared. He's openly admitted that it wasn't declared. He knew it wasn't declared and he has apologised and said he should have come out when those figures were released every single year. He should, he did notice that for six years the figure that was in the public domain but also the figure that was given to the government and given to the various Oireachtas committees was incorrect and he knew it was incorrect and he said nothing. You can't be doing that, Ryan. Uh, Liam Imbruff uh, says, uh, bringing all of the executives of RTE RT and D Forbes, huge call for D Forbes to discuss governance before the Public Accounts Committee next Thursday. Liam is fearful that that will just be a whitewash. If Liam had his way, they'd be in before the courts and jail sentences would be handed out, particularly if they don't answer the questions truthfully. Liam is fearful that we've heard lies before in the past and they've certainly lied when it came to how much Ryan Tuberty was earning. How do we know, says Liam Imbruff, that they won't do the very same thing before the Oireachtas committees. They're before two Oireachtas committees. Tuesday, Wednesday is the Media Commission and then the PAC is going to be the really important one because they're the ones that hand the money out to RTE. Uh, so they're the ones that they're really going to be grilled uh, before on uh, Thursday. Niall is in McCroom. He said Ryan Tuberty cannot justify getting paid his salary, not to mind this extra amount of money. At the end of the day, says Niall, we here in Ireland, we're a small country of five million people. We're equal to a large city in the United Kingdom. None of those who would be presenting shows on regional TV in the UK would be earning anything like the amount of money to broadcast to a similar population, which is a thought process I haven't heard of before, but it's a, it's, it's a good uh, thought process, uh, Niall, for sure. But we look on it as an entire country, not just a city. Barry says at this stage, a general election is what is needed uh, to see if anyone in Leinster House can run the country between RTE and the housing issue, where we have nurses 
leaving Ireland to go to work in Australia and many of them citing the fact that they cannot afford rent in uh, Ireland. Something needs to be done. Dan says the 75k that was underwritten by a commercial company and by them they and by doing that, there was an onus on that commercial company to continue when they decided to pull out of the deal. Why did RTE get caught to pick up on the money that was agreed under a deal? If you create a deal and walk away from it, surely it is the company's responsibility if they don't honour it. Why should RTE be picking up the tab? Ultimately, at the end of the day, then it's you and I, the taxpayer, that ended up paying that extra money. Michael says, Patricia, hearing Claire Byrne this morning saying that her new salary now is €280,000 a year and that's for a two-hour show Monday through to Friday with, as you pointed out, a full backup crew. Yourself must be on well over 300000 Mark, with the hours you put in backed up just by John Paul. Michael, I can only dream of the day that... (laughs) <laughs> that I would ever be earning €300,000 and no, I can hand on heart openly declare publicly I'm on nothing close to €300,000 and somebody else says Patricia this RTE scandal is making my blood boil after paying my TV licence for the past 30 years and also having to pay now if there's certain GAA matches I want to pay I have to pay for GAA Go I am I just contributing to all of these people's salary and half the time you can't even get the service 0818 103 103 and let me bring one final one in John in Cove says did you ever hear so many politicians coming out calling out Ryan Tuberty as many politicians are in the same wage bracket John actually feels sorry for Ryan uh, Tuberty and oh he doesn't feel sorry sorry John feels Ryan Tuberty will get away with this as they all forget where the money comes from and goes to a low paid worker working very hard would not make that type of money across their lifetime. And that that is the way to look at it. Well, in fairness to the politicians, and they, the politicians themselves will say that they are earning a decent wage. None of them are getting over a half a million uh, euro a, a year. While they do earn a lot of money, it isn't anywhere close to a half a million euro. And not if you break it down for the amount of time the guy is on air, be it on TV or on the radio, and even allowing for additional work that you assume he would put in doing some research, even though he's backed up with huge amount of researchers and uh, producers. So I think it's unfair to say that they're all on the same money. They're not. 0818-103-103. John Paul continues to take your uh, calls uh, and hold off on WhatsApping at the moment because we will be announcing our National Menopause Summit winner. We'll be announcing that soon. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. St. Aloysius's Summer Faith Camp will be held from the 3rd of July to the 6th of July. It'll be held in the CDYS Mallow Community Youth Centre. It's for boys and girls aged 5 to 14. The camp will be run from 9.30 to 3 every day. It includes activities such as drama, arts and crafts, music and more. Registration forms are available from CDYS office in Mallow. More information, you need to contact Bernadette at 086 803 1126. 
the Donnerail Active Retirement Group. Their next meeting is this afternoon at 2 for Arts and Crafts and it'll be followed by their monthly meeting at 3. All are welcome. Bingo is on in Butterfint tonight. That's at 8. While cool sportswear are inviting you to climb Caron Tuchel on Saturday the 8th of July, it's to raise funds for the Association of Ukrainians in Ireland. For dedicated cyclists, as an opportunity to cycle from O'Brien Street in Mallow to Caron Tuchel. Cyclists leave Mallow at 6am from Mallow Print Works. The climb to Caron Tuchel then starts at 10.30. Cyclists leave for the return journey at 4 in the afternoon. To register if you'd like to uh, donate, you can call into Mallow Printing Works on O'Brien Street in Mallow. And there is a homecoming for the Special Olympian team gold medalist Seamus O'Sullivan. It's in Ballinagree Village this evening at 8 o'clock. Come out and show your support for our local hero. Supporters are asked to be in Ballinagree Village for about quarter to eight, please. And all are very welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Okay, you can stop WhatsApping us for the National Menopause uh, Summit because I want to leave the WhatsApps free now. If you have a question, please, for Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, you can get the questions into 0862103103 or of course, John Paul is also taking calls at 0818103103 but sometimes the lines get extremely busy and as we know he's out there on his own answering those uh, calls and it can get frustrating for people if the lines ring out so if you have a question for Annalise you can WhatsApp it in to 0862103103 and we have our winner of a pair of balcony tickets for the National Menopause Summit happening Friday 20th of October the Cork City Hall and our winner today is Margaret O'Connor on the South Douglas Road congratulations to you Margaret I have one more final pair and I'm told this is the final pair to give away tomorrow on the programme and people can check out more about the National Menopause Summit uh, and you can also get tickets nationalmenopausesummit.com 0818103103 There was a WhatsApp in there that I just uh, spotted from uh, a listener saying Patricia has anybody else noticed that many pubs restaurants and small businesses in the Bantry area are operating on a cash only basis we had a large party in the area over the weekend and none of us had cash we all wanted to pay with card and we just had to move on until we could find some place that would facilitate us what is the benefit of a cash only why are businesses doing it many businesses doing it because there's costs involved you've got to pay the bank and pay for the credit card machine to be in and many businesses who are really struggling at the moment prefer to just deal in cash because they don't have the additional uh, costs of it. Now there are other businesses who flipped it the other way and are card only I don't know if you find many of those in rural areas but certainly if you're in if if you're planning on going to Dublin make sure you have your card with you the amount of places that are don't accept cash which is again a huge annoyance for other people uh, who only deal in cash as well so uh, one of the reasons is it's it's a cost uh, factor but it's unfortunate that people lose business over it but it does happen but as I say it happens the other way as well if a business decides to go card only they can lose 
uh, cash customers as well. 0818103103. I mentioned earlier, it was, it was a listener brought it up, I think it was during when we were discussing RTE, about the fact of the number of nurses that are leaving this country because uh, many of them are going to Australia and a, a number of them will cite that the reason that they are leaving is they can't afford a house and uh, it's cheaper for them to go to Australia to live and work. We have a similar problem when it comes to teachers. We're losing a lot of our teachers. Our young teachers are going abroad and also we're not training enough teachers. So I was thrilled to see today that the primary teaching training colleges are now hoping for a late bounce in the CAO applications as growing staff shortages within the school are now creating a new employment boom for newly qualified uh, teachers. Now, the CAO, the standard deadline, this would have been the Leaving Star Class of 2023, would have been applying for their CAO by the 1st of February. Disappointingly, there was a dip in first preference applications for people signing up for primary school teaching is actually down by 11% uh, year on year. And previous Department of Education predictions for a steady decline in pupil numbers and a flattening of the need for teachers, that would have fed into some school leavers and their decisions around their CAO, thinking no point becoming a primary school teacher, there won't be jobs uh, for me. But primary school enrolment projections have completely been turned on their head. A lot of that, of course, was to do with the arrival of the 10,000 Ukrainian pupils in the last year. And that has reversed a decline in pupil numbers that has been there since 2018. In addition, recent government incentives, things to improve the pupil teacher ratio. They've added more schools to the DESH scheme for disadvantaged uh, communities from September. There's also been an, an increase in special education teacher provision. That has created a huge amount of extra job opportunities. Now, many primary teaching graduates are also working abroad. Particularly, we have a lot of them heading to the Middle East and a lot of those teachers will cite the lack of um, the lack of and the cost of accommodation in Ireland, particularly those that accepted jobs in and around the Dublin area. The recruitment difficulty facing primary schools has been very, very evident, particularly around filling fixed term vacancies if a teacher goes out on mat leave or if a teacher decides to take a career uh, break. That can have be a huge, huge nightmare for the principal trying to find somebody to uh, fill those fixed term uh, vacancies. And in the past, those fixed terms, those, you know, mat leaves or a career break were often the starting point for a teaching career. But now there isn't enough teachers out there to fill those roles. Hundreds of extra primary teaching places are opening up in colleges this year and next year. And that is in the hope of improving supply. Many of them are at the Marino Institute of Education. That's based in Dublin, uh, including a BED to teach through the medium of Irish. And of course, we know we've had an increase, thankfully, in the Gwail Scholar and they need teachers that can teach through the medium of Ireland. Now, the president of the Marino Institute is Professor Teresa O'Doherty. And I was reading in the papers today, she said there has never been a better time to study, to be a teacher and to be a primary teacher than now. She said that the extra places have been announced since the CAO February the 1st deadline. And she really is hoping that applicants and, and young people who sat there leaving search would take a look before the CAO change of mind. Now, the CAO change of mind is coming up 
early next week because it's on the 1st of uh, July. Previously, she said we would have thought we were going to have an oversupply of teachers because that is what the demographics were saying. But life isn't like that. And there are now many more job opportunities out there than, than currently we have uh, teachers for, for at the moment. And a recent survey of the Marine Institute uh, students found that uh, most 59% would like to teach outside of Dublin. Already young teachers are saying they couldn't afford to live in uh, Dublin and 29% uh, said they would like to teach in, or 39% said they would like to live in, or live and teach in the capital but you wonder how many of those maybe already have a base in Dublin. And Professor O'Doherty said that the top reason chosen in surveys uh, for picking teaching as a career was making a difference and having a positive impact on the lives of their young students. And I thought, wasn't that a great reason for somebody to say, because, you know, traditionally people say when somebody took up a teaching role, ah, you only did that for the long summer holidays. And any teacher will tell you there's very few go into it just for the long summer holidays. So to think that the majority when they were asked, this is when they signed up, uh, to start studying to be a teacher. Why are you doing it? They want to make a difference and they want to have a positive impact on the lives of their students and they will make for going into teaching with that kind of a mind frame what great teachers they will make and the little boys and girls that will go through the doors of their classroom will be extremely lucky ones indeed. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And uh, before we go to Annalise, uh, Jim in uh, Clonakilty was trying to renew his motor tax this morning online uh, and uh, he wasn't, he just wouldn't go through from, so he decided he would ring instead to renew over the phone with credit card in hand. He was told, sorry Jim, you can't renew it over the phone, it has to be done either in the office via an appointment or you have to do it online. Jim said when I explained to them that the online system, just my credit card wouldn't go through they were of no help at all. My question is, we have no choice but to pay our motor tax. It is the law. This is a government service. However, when people try to renew, they should surely be given all the options. At the end of the day, it is a public service. Jim is now asking, what is Cork County Council for? Is it for the councillors we elect? Is it for the office officials? Or is it for the people? As trying to conduct business with them is becoming impossible. He also said when he rang the number just to inquire if you could pay over the line, he was on hold, he says, for a very long period of uh, time. And as we know, we've checked with Cork County Council and the Motor Tax Office. The only way you can pay your tax is to pay online or you can do it via the post and uh, if you want to go in in person you do have to ring first make the appointment and then turn up but you do have the the postal option as well why you don't have the telephone option Jim I simply don't know uh, maybe they'll say it's a staffing issue 0818 103 103 let's turn our attention to Annalise Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic good afternoon to you Annalise Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very uh, welcome. Okay, straight into questions for Annalise. You can WhatsApp only, please. Our tech service is down today. So 86 And John Paul is also taking your calls at 0818-103-103. Eileen in West Cork was on and says, last week you recommended something for sleep. Um, Eileen is having difficulty sleeping at the moment. What can you recommend? I think there's a few ones I often recommend, Patricia. Um, the one that we find we get the best feedback on is a one uh, by a company called NHP Natural Health Practice, and it's called Advanced Sleep Support. It's a blend of about eight different things for sleep. 
Um, there's valerian in there, and that will be a typical one for sleeping. Um, also, there's the Irish Botanica do a tincture of valerian, which is very good and strong. It's called Peace and Calm. There's also things like passion flower in there or passiflora, L-theanine, magnesium. There's some skull cap in there. Um, there is some melissa in there. So there's a lot of different things that help work to kind of bring down the stress hormones in the body, really. And they make you just feel very rested and calm so that you drift into a natural sleep. It's not like a sleep um, uh, tablet. sleeping tablet that knocks yeah. you out. So I would suggest try that advanced sleep support to begin with. And if that doesn't work, then you could try some of the other ones like the Melissa Dream is another common one. Uh, magnesium biglycinate, if you're going for magnesium, is the best for sleep because the biglycinate element of that is fantastic for, um, you know, for the calming, calm, focused, quiet neurotransmitter that makes you feel rest, you know, calm enough to go off to sleep, really. Yeah, and I think we've had very hot, muggy nights as well. It's kind of hard to sleep when it's because because we don't have air conditioning. Our houses are not set up for it. They, you know, the heat at night isn't helping. No, that's definitely a factor as well. And um, so just just sleep with the sheet, I suppose, really yeah. is, is the and best a, thing. A window that. open. Windows open. And yeah. um, actually, a couple of people have said to me since I made the suggestion last week, close the curtains during the day. Yeah. It does actually make a difference. So keep the curtains and the windows closed during the day and only open them then when it gets a bit cooler in the evening. OK, Anya has been on. Question for Annalise, please. I am taking a statin and when my cholesterol was last checked, it was at 5.9. I started to take a cholesterol tea containing artichoke, hawthorn and peppermint. Just had my bloods checked and my cholesterol is at 5. Is this a coincidence? I'm interested in Annalise's opinion. Possibly not. So the, the um, there's a number of different things that can help lower cholesterol. And that particular tea has got stuff in there that are very supportive of the liver and the liver's ability to make bile. Now, bile, normally, we would think about um, for fat digestion. It's stored in the gallbladder and it's released when we, um, when we have fat in our food. But actually, bile is an extremely important excretory mechanism for toxins that have been detoxified, including cholesterol, from the liver that have been broken down and they bind it to bile. And then the bile takes it out of the body. So artichoke would be fantastic for that. The other things that were mentioned in the tea would be very good for that. So I think this person could also benefit from some other natural things that you can do with your diet to support bile production. One of them is to take a tablespoon of lecithin. It's spelled L-E-C-I-T-H-I-N. And this is uh, very good. Again, it kind of a full of... Uh, phospholipids that help you make your bile um, and you could just add a tablespoon into a smoothie or a yogurt or on, on your porridge or breakfast cereal it's fairly tasteless and the other very good thing to do is to have something very bitter before you eat your main meal so um, we used to eat spe- take Swedish bitters Patricia they've kind of gone from the market but you can take um, bitter things like you know even a glass of water with some lemon juice in there or having a salad with bitter um greens in there like rocket and watercress and they all stimulate the gallbladder to start releasing bile and that'll help get the cholesterol, bind the cholesterol and get rid of it out of the body. Okay, hi. I suffer from severe leg cramps. Uh, They start around 5am in the morning. What can I take to relieve them? Yeah, it's one of the most common things, Patricia, that we talk about on the radio are the leg cramps and there's a few different reasons that you might be getting leg cramping. So certain deficiencies will make um, the muscles go into a kind of a spasm and find very hard to release. 
Calcium deficiency would be one, but it's very uncommon. The second one would be iron deficiency, which can be very common even if people eat red meat because some people don't really absorb iron very well. The same goes for B12. Both both of those you'd get in um, animal products, particularly red meat, and some people are not good at absorbing these from those foods. So if you've been deficient in the past, that could be a likely problem, or if you go and get your bloods done and it's low, then just taking an iron and B12 supplement will help with that. And then the most common one really is magnesium deficiency. And I think if you read any articles now at the moment in the health journals, they'll they'll say that everyone is deficient in magnesium. I don't think I really believe that. Um, There's certainly no clinical evidence behind it anyway. But I suppose in a diet that would be low in vegetables, particularly green leafy vegetables, you could potentially be a little bit low in magnesium. So taking it can help support um, those levels. And I always recommend that people take it at night if they can because it can compete with calcium for absorption. So the last thing you want to do is take a high dose of magnesium and then end up being deficient in calcium, which will affect your bones. So unless you need it during the day, take magnesium at night time. And for leg cramps, you'd probably want to be taking at least two to 300 milligrams. So viridian um, high-potency magnesium is a good one for that. The other one that we get good results with is the Nutri-Advanced. It's called Mega Mag Muscle Ease. And there's loads of magnesium in there, plus loads of other things to support muscle function. And if any of those don't help, then the only last option, I think, is probably going to your doctor for quinine tablets. Okay, Hannah says, uh, what squash can I add to water that doesn't have aspartamine in it? I find water very bland to drink, says Hannah. Yeah, that's a, a, it's very hard to get them, Patricia, that don't have the, that natural that that, that um, unnatural sweeteners added to them because otherwise they'll have a lot of sugar added to them. So then just go and buy yourself a Ribena. Uh, but most of those drops, you they'd never be able to sweeten them, sweeten them sufficiently with sugars. So they use those um, alternative sugary supplements. And there's loads of evidence to show that they're not good for you in the long term. But you know what I would often do is I would add a couple of drops of essential oil into my water bottle. Um, I use a lot the doTERRA oils. They're very good. They're very high quality. And they do lovely blends. I use one called Slim and Sassy sometimes. It's very good for stopping sugar cravings. Sometimes I'd use a lemon. Sometimes I'd use peppermint. And that flavors your water beautifully. So you don't have to get the expensive ones either. A small drop of uh, any essential oil isn't going to, you know, even if it's not food grade, is not going to harm you and will definitely make your water taste lovely. Okay, that's worth, certainly worth a try. Chris says, could you please ask Annalise, what is best to take for IBS? So that is the million dollar question, Patricia, yeah. because you see, an, an IBS, this kind of, the whole term really gets on my wick because I think people go to the doctor and they explain their symptoms, which is the symptoms of a bowel that is irritated. And then they're told they've irritable bowel, which actually they've just told the doctor they have anyway. So it doesn't really mean anything, I think. It just means that your bowel is irritated. So you can have both irritable bowel with constipation and and diarrhea and both of them. You can have lots of bloating and pain and cramping. And in my experience, you have to get down to the root cause of which it's generally one of these three. So if if you've taken a lot of medication recently, it could be down to medication. Or if you've been on holidays, you may have picked up something. So if your IBS has started since the time you were on holidays, it's possible you're still harboring a worm or a parasite or a bacteria that's causing the problem. And then the most common one in my book is food intolerances. And this would be if it's been going on for a very long time. And all of the three of these are exacerbated by stress. 
So if you can figure out the root cause, taking supplements then in a more kind of focused manner can help. So I'd nearly always recommend a digestive enzyme, which would help break down food more efficiently and just take the pressure off the the digestive system and the bowels while there's a bit of healing happening. Then I would do some gut healing with the product. Um, We have a very good one here in the shop that we sell a lot of over the years, and it's by a company called um, Nature's Plus. It's called GI Nutra Wellness, and it comes in a powder or capsules, and it's a combination of about 12 or 14 different things for supporting the gut and supporting healing. And then the last thing I would recommend would be a probiotic. Um, and again, there's lots of various different good ones. Um, there's ones that are better if you are lactose intolerant. There's ones that are better if you've had a lot of medication. There's ones that are better if you um, if you have other types of allergies that would kind of decrease histamine. So your health shop will guide you to a good one of those. But those, like, so something to support digestion, something to support gut healing, and then a probiotic would be the three basics I would try. And really, as I said, the key is to try and figure out what is the problem, because otherwise you're always just going to be papering up the cracks, you know. Mm. And then this is the kind of one you want people to suffer with backache. Somebody says, what would Annalise recommend for lower back pain? It's just on one side. Difficult one, really. I suppose it could be a couple of different things. I don't know, is it a pulled muscle? Um, Is it around the kidney area? Would it be a little bit of wear and tear on, on a disc? And then, you know, sometimes when you wear and tear on a disc, you tend to tilt to one side and it puts a lot of strain on the muscle to hold the back up, basically. So I don't know. I mean, I think really I'd probably recommend going to a physiotherapist and having a bit of work done on it. But in terms of rubs, I love the Pernaton Forte. It's spelled P-E-R-N-A-T-O-N and then Forte, F-O-R-T-E. Um, and they do, it's a kind of a rub with different bits and pieces in it um, for muscle pain. But the big thing I love about it is that there's the extract of chili in there. So it gets right in and heats up and you do get some immediate relief from it. Um, magnesium can be another good one as well for, for muscle pain. You can get it as a gel or as a spray. You could rub that in as well. And then Devil's Claw is another very good natural anti-inflammatory. I'd normally be recommending that now for joints, but actually it can work for kind of muscle spasm as well. So rub any of those in, and if it doesn't really improve, you'll probably need to go to the physiotherapist. Okay. All right, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that, Annalise. Have a lovely week. We'll chat next Monday. That's Annalise Dressel, the Health Hub Times Square in Ballangolic. And as always, all of the information, um, Annalise will pop up on her website this afternoon as heard on the radio, healthhubstore.com. Some of your texts coming in. A number of people reacting to Jim who had the problem trying to tax his car online. And you just said it just wouldn't accept the credit card details. Hi, my dad had the very same problem with the motor tax office. He spent four hours trying to pay his motor tax. It wouldn't let him pay with his personal card or indeed his business card. I ended up having to pay it with my card and for some strange reason it accepted my card but wouldn't accept his. The tax office, by the way, when you tried to call, were not helpful at all. Someone else said, I've also tried to pay motor tax online this morning and it has failed to accept payment details. I wonder, is there a problem with it online and somebody else is saying tell Jim and the others to check the notification permission uh, permissions on their phone banking app I have the same problem 
Um, I banked with AIB and it was the authenticity app was in deep sleep on my phone and wouldn't receive the code uh, sorted out by allowing the push notifications. That might make sense for someone. 0818103103. And Gemma in Ballyvalan is is also on saying the same thing. And John Paul said he's had a number of calls of people saying it's the push notifications. They need to check the settings on their phone phone and that might explain the the girl who was on her whose dad couldn't do it and then she did it on hers uh, and, and maybe the push notifications were correct on the settings on her phone so that might be worth uh, a try and then I mentioned teachers uh, earlier and teachers leaving the country to go abroad and how the colleges now are really hoping that they can change the minds of some of the Leaving Cert students with the CAO applications and the change of mind deadline coming up on the 1st of July and they're asking applicants to take another look and to take a look at at teaching as a possible uh, profession. And they're saying that they're having problems getting people to do the uh, court to take up what's called fixed term vacancies, things like maternity leave or anything like a career break. Here's a teacher who wants to remain anonymous, which is fine. And to say, I'll tell you, the only reason teachers are going away and not staying at home is because of the way teachers, particularly young teachers, are treated. I've been working as a teacher covering a mat leave since last September. I'm not getting paid for holidays and I didn't get paid for any of the holidays throughout the academic year or if the school was closed for any reason, didn't get paid for those de- those days. Now, I finished last Friday, even though the school is still open. And the reason for that was I finished. So the teacher I was covering for came back for the three days of this week. Guess why? That teacher then gets paid for the summer. Very hard to cover mat leave. Oh, that's galling. That, yeah, there, there certainly is an issue around those fixed term vacancies that has to be looked at, particularly if you want those young teachers to stay in this country and to pick up those contracts. OK, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you uh, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. We have more of those menopause tickets uh, to give away the final uh, pair. And... Uh, uh, we look forward to your thoughts and comments coming into the programme uh, throughout the morning tomorrow. Uh, until tomorrow, 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.